Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. Welcome back to another episode of Startup Hacks. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm excited to welcome Priscilla McKinney. Priscilla is CEO of Little Bird Marketing, a digital content agency. With their proprietary source system, they create sustainable and predictable lead generation for clients who are part of their flock. She's also the host of the company podcast called Ponderlings from the Perch. Welcome, Priscilla. Thanks for having me, Fernanda. This is exciting. Yeah, it's so great. What a treat for me. So thank you for making time to come on the show. I, I thought I would start by asking if you wouldn't mind sharing with the audience a little bit about your personal history, where you grew up, how you got started in uh, in this field. Sure. Well, I grew up in a uh, what we would best describe as a Christian Von Trapp singing family. So if that tells anybody how bizarre my childhood was, <laughs> um, I can neither confirm nor deny that there was puppets involved. So <laughs> I had an interesting childhood and, uh, you know, growing up in different cultures, I went to uh, four different high schools in three different countries. And so I think, you know, my biggest takeaway from that was the sense that no matter where I landed, you know, I could do it. I could take care of it, you know, and it was going to be somewhere different that I landed. And so, you know, as I went, um, you know, as I grew up and then I actually put myself through school in banking, kind of started in finance stuff only because it was the paying job. But my degree was in cultural anthropology. And I really have always been interested in how we decide how to behave in society and why we do certain things and why we really make so many emotions based on so, so many decisions based on emotion and yet we justify them rationally and all of that just drops into marketing right <laughs> so i i got a chance to um to start doing some consulting, some marketing with one of the financial businesses I was in, and I was hooked. I love marketing. My husband could always tell when I came home that day and I had been consulting someone in marketing. I just, you know, I was lit up and I and I, I loved it. And so when I got the chance, uh, I bought a small business from someone else. And sadly, a couple of years into that, back actually about 13 months into it, I stood on the side of the sidewalk and watched it burn to the ground. So I had to start over. And again, (laughs) this is where, you know, kind of being dropped wherever you're dropped. I'm like, let's do this. I'm going to bet on myself. So that was the birth of Little Bird Marketing. So let's just backtrack for a second there. So your business literally burned to the ground? Yes. Uh But that was three weeks after the F5 tornado here in Joplin. So we had already lost about 35% of our town in 22 minutes. And three weeks later, you know, it was my turn. So it was quite a quite a year, quite a, a difficult time for our community. And um, and then also for me personally here, I've been helping some of my clients, you know, get back up on their feet for the last three weeks. And then, boom, it's my turn. So it was a very, very difficult year, not one I want to relive for sure. But it really gave me a lot of clarity as, you know, crisis does. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, So let me just ask you, are you uh, a former corporate executive as well? Or did you kind of straight out of school start consulting? And and that's kind of what led you into your entrepreneurial uh, world that you're in now? 
Yeah, I was never in an exec at any of the companies. I wasn't upper management when I really was, you know, decided to open my own company. The company had sold and I was like kind of left holding the bag. I, I did have, you know, shares in it. So kind of gave me a transition out. But I was kind of like, wow, what am I going to do? Either I'm going to really, you know, get corporate again and really, you know, make a go of it or I'm in a bet on myself. And so that's what I did. I, you know, I started a company called Relay for Business that is a credit card processing company because I was doing more of what I knew. And I still have that business going today. It's a residual business. So it kind of runs in the background, but uh, my day-to-day is Little Bird Marketing. I'm just the serial entrepreneur. I have a couple of businesses going, but my focus is here uh, at Little Bird Marketing. Got it. So you've been an entrepreneur then pretty much from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, really. I I would say that. I think the other jobs that I had were maybe preparing me, but they were really jobs that were just kind of getting me out of college and kind of getting me figuring out what this adulting life was all about. And once you started Little Bird Marketing, can you walk us through a little bit about how that company actually grew? I'm sure when you started out, you probably had a few clients and, and now I know you've built a very successful business. Yeah, well, I'll take that compliment, but I have to tell you, I think nobody goes it alone. And the best thing I did very early in terms of building that was I had a really great coach. I reached out and I just knew there were things that I just didn't know. And this has become a lifelong friend of mine. Uh, Brett Baker has just constantly been not just my cheerleader, but really a challenger to me, asking me the hard questions and making me really codify what it is that I envisioned. What was this little bird marketing thing going to be? And I just remember even this day, you know, me thinking about how am I going to become a $100,000 business, you know, which now to me, I'm like, that's so funny, you know, after, you you know, when you pass that first million, you're like, okay, I can handle that. Then you get to the next million, you know, and you're moving up. But, you know, it's just the same at that first hundred thousand. And I remember the box I had drawn on a whiteboard of breaking that box down with how many clients that was going to take for me to get to that 100,000. And so those are some sweet moments, some sweet memories for me, Um, really kind of keeps me grounded with how far I've come. But I have to say, the biggest thing for me was, you know, at different times, I've been very good about asking for help. And and that I think has made the difference for me. Well, I'm fortunate to know you well and to know you also on a professional level and the kind of quality work that you do. Not that I'm plugging your business, but I am. Oh, you um, can. It's okay. <laughs> uh, um, but I but I know from personal experience, you're, you're truly an efficiency master. And I have to say, I'd really admire the the systems that you have put into place. And when you talk about the $100,000 milestone or, or as a founder, you knew you have like these ideas in your head, which is first like, okay, making money at all and then making a certain amount of money and then growing and scaling and bringing in more people. What do you think? Um, I mean, we're kind of jumping up, jumping forward a little bit into the startup packs, but I'm just kind of curious, what did you, um, what did you focus on Once you hit that 100,000 and you were like, okay, we're good. Now we're going to build towards whatever the next number was. What did you find was really important for you to put in place in order to successfully achieve that looking back? 
Yeah, I think, you know, in the early stages, you can have a system and it's all in your head or it's all on your notebook <laughs> or it's on your desk or it's on your whiteboard. But to me, there's a transition there, uh, whether it's at 100,000, depending on what you're selling or if it's 200,000 or if it, you know, if it's at 5,000, I don't know what that is for you. But there's a point at which you have to realize that system, whatever that system that you have, it can no longer be in your head. It has to be. Uh, it has to be communicated. It has to be codified. It has to be explainable. It has to be shared. It has to be talked about all the time. And, you know, it, it, it's not enough if it's just yours. And so I think the, the, the next step there was just to say, how can I actually uh, put words and maybe even put visuals to this system so that other people could start coming along on this journey with me? And do you feel that that really helped you then get to the next benchmark, which was probably a million? Yeah, uh, it, it did tremendously. But I got to tell you, I had other coaches along the way there, too. And one of them really made me sit down and do standard operating procedures, systems, you know, this idea that, you know, other people are rooting for you and even your employees are rooting for you and they want to help you. But when you leave them without a clear plan, they get frustrated, you get frustrated and nobody can step in and help you. And so, you know, I, I had another uh, another coach who actually owned, worked for Saatchi and Saatchi owned his own agencies, worked for Nike, you know, like a really good experience. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I was like at a time when I really couldn't afford to pay him. I paid him because I knew I couldn't afford to be without that wisdom. And he drilled home for me how much I needed processes that were repeatable. And this one gal, Christine Kane, who I, another coach again, is, you know, she told me, look, there's somebody in the company who gets to make it up. There's somebody in the company who gets to figure out how to make it work. And then there's someone who needs to make it happen over and over again. And that has stuck with me, helped me very much understand how if I really want to be that visionary, that person who thinks it up, then I got to find these other people. And I can't keep all of the good stuff in my brain if people are going to come along and help me. Yeah, makes total sense. So let me ask you about the digital marketing piece. <clears throat> something that you're obviously very good at. The um, Obviously, you can't be very successful these days unless you really understand how to leverage social media. And I'm just wondering if you could share um, your kind of top three do's and don'ts in the social space that you see clients uh, or other people do all the time that really hurt their ability to effectively communicate and market their product or service. Yeah, gosh, that's a great question. You know, I think, again, kind of like I say that, that there's no sense in going it alone. Likewise, some people look at social media and they don't really see it for the power that it is. You know, four billion people are on the Internet every day. OK, that's a huge platform. And then when you talk about the millions who are very, very active social users I don't care what business you are. You can't grow a platform that big, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody else has already grown it. And so I think sometimes entrepreneurs, when especially when they're starting up, they think, I got to invent it all. No, you don't. You can piggyback on someone else's success, on someone else's platform, on someone else's system, on someone else's idea. That's innovation, taking an idea and just tweaking it a little bit. And so I think that a lot of times these, you know, in, in startup mode, people tend to think I've got to recreate the whole thing. But I just say, you know, quit recreating the wheel. Look at wheels. 
you know, and, mm-hmm. and look at other mm-hmm. systems, look at other platforms, unless you want, unless you're going to have a 4 billion person platform anytime soon, then you should probably quit trying to build your platform and start leveraging other people's. And so to me, kind of one, two, three for that, just simple ideas would be number one. If you're a B2B, then use LinkedIn instead of creating a platform that big. If you, you know, need to get your voice heard or you're, you know, you want to get out there as a thought leader, then get on other people's podcasts instead of starting your own, you know, or if there's a big audience, someone's, you know, creating some kind of event or being a part of a community, then get into that community or speak for free. If the audience is full of your ideal client, I think entrepreneurs just think I've got to go, you know, create that platform or I've got to go start that podcast or I need to go create that community. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually really great advice. Um, and, I, and I think that really is key to the principles of some of the things that we discuss on this podcast, which is how do you save time and money and gain a competitive edge when you're bootstrapping your company and, you're, and you have limited resources and you've got to work smart, not necessarily hard. The, the thing about social media that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand is how the um, social platforms share your content and the power of their algorithms to select certain people. And while it's great because you can target market, especially if you're buying ads, you're limited. Sometimes you think you're posting things and it's kind of going to your followership and it's really not. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, that's interesting that you even would say that it's going to your followership because it's actually not. And it's been proven it's not. You know, if you have someone, for example, following you on Facebook and you post to them, the likelihood that they're going to see that post is anywhere between one to four percent. And it's fallen as low as half of a percent. So then it becomes the issue, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, I don't care what the next new thing is. It, the following somebody is really not where the algorithms are focused And although they don't tell us exactly what the algorithms are, we can tell by the way that, you know, there's KPIs that we can measure on social media. And so what we do know about any social media platform going on, any of the mainstream ones right now, is that they base the way you get seen and heard and amplified based on the quality of interactions that you get. So therefore, they're trying to reward people who put out great content, right? And also people who spark conversation for good or for ill, (laughs) you know, they basically are saying, look, we are a platform. We want people to enjoy themselves here. We want it to be dynamic. And so, you know, for the entrepreneur and the startup, you have to think, don't think about social media. What is it for you? Think about what it is for the company. So for example, LinkedIn loves LinkedIn. Facebook loves Facebook. They have certain things. They are not a non-for-profit company. They are there to make a buck and they want to run advertising. So they want people to have certain experiences. And you got to ask yourself, what experience are they trying to drive? If you can provide that experience, then you are going to be shown not only to your followership, but you're going to be shown to the world at, you know, at large. And that is a key breaking and a mindset that has to change for entrepreneurs. It's not about checking the thing off. I, I got it posted. I got it done. I got it done. It's not like that. It's about how meaningful was it? How much did it actually engage people? 
So let's let's continue on that thread for a second. Um, I'd like you to give me a, a for instance. Um, obviously, people got sold on the social platforms and kind of the whole follower scene, right? Like you wanted to get on, you needed to have a certain follower base, and obviously, the advertising business also uh, participates in this. In that, you know, the more followers you have, the more attractive you are to advertisers, and the better your engagement, the more attractive you are to advertisers. Um, but at the same time, as we all know, that can also be purchased. Um, but getting back to the quality of posts that you're posting and whether or not that particular platform sees you as attractive because of the kind of uh, response you're getting from your posts, how do you as a content creator, let's say, and you're posting um, things on the platform, how are you then not only sure that your posts are the kind of quality posts that the platform's going to like, but that it's going to be shared with the audience that you want to see it, given that it's not necessarily your followers who are going to see it. Right, right. And and really, if you're trying to grow <laughs> with anything, you know, in a in a quick at a quick pace, you have to think beyond your followers. So, yeah, so that's a good question. So for me, I kind of backtrack what you said about the, the word influencer and what our society does and how we look at that. And of course, you can buy followers. So then what is the meaning there? To me, I come back to that word to say you're influencing people. And I guess my question for any startup and entrepreneur, who are you influencing? Are you able? to influence because whether LinkedIn or Snapchat or, or Instagram or Facebook or whatever thinks you're influential, that doesn't matter. That's their opinion. Who cares? Where you see the evidence of you influencing people is if they are responding to you and if they are then secondarily buying your product or service, right? And so what a lot of people try and do then is say, well, we want a big audience, so I'm going to write to a lot of people. And the moment that everybody is your audience, I guarantee you that nobody is your audience. And so what I would say in startup mode, what people fail to do often is to go and do the slow work, right? <laughs> because it's hard because we're all energetic and we want to get it done and we're like so, you know, driven for it. But you got to stop and you got to think, who is my most ideal client? And do solid, solid persona development work. You need to know not just demographics, like who is this person? What gender are they? You know, what kind of job do they hold? What, what's their role? But you need to know what their challenges are, what their values are. You need to know what problems are persistent for them and what problems are newly emerging that they're struggling with. And you need to know the way they talk. What are the things that fall out of their mouth? What are, what are, what, what could you do to help them? Because I'm telling you, nobody wants to be sold to. And so we're out there in our own life thinking, I don't want somebody slimy sales and selling me or being an, trying to unduly influence me. That's what we, none of us like it. We resist it. And yet then we come in either as an entrepreneur or a marketer, sit at the desk and then write, you know, crap copy that is trying to be slimy and salesy and nobody <laughs> likes it. So it's about stopping and saying, you don't need to influence a lot of people. You need to influence only your most ideal client. And I have always said this about marketing, that really a great marketing plan and a great strategic marketing plan will actually turn people away. It will turn certain people away because they are not for you. And it will engage the ones who go, oh my gosh, I have finally somebody who 
whatever it is. And they are so delighted because they see a very specific thing. Someone has actually cared about them. And so it turns some people off and turns some people on. And that to me is what, you know, you need to be thinking about when you're thinking about influence. I would rather influence you know, just 10 people, you know, to, you know, spend a quarter of a million dollars with me, then influence a hundred thousand, but just to say, oh, you're great. Right, right, right. Exactly. So, so if you develop good content, that's very persona driven, then the presumption is that that content will be shared with your target audience, because that target audience if you've written it correctly, will respond. Is that the presumption? Yeah, exactly. And you won't be able either to just put it in front of them once. We know from research that people read on average about 14 pieces of content before they make a decision. And online, the reality is, is that the I, you know, the the modern buyer is on an anonymous journey through their buyer's journey to get to who they want. They're doing research without you even knowing, and so you do have to have a lot of content out there. You do have to have a lot of quality content out there because there, there's not this one linear path to purchase. You know, people are going boop 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 zigzagging all over the place, and you need to be able to be seen and heard in a lot of different places in order to finally resonate with them for them to find you. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. So let me switch gears and ask you if you wouldn't mind sharing if there are any products or services or specific hacks like your top three that you would like to share with entrepreneurs who might be listening. Yeah, for sure. I'd say the first one I would say is Trello. And I'm not paid to say that. So <laughs> it's just something I found very early in my career. And then, of course, it was amazing. They got bought out by Atlassian. And I mean, I I could have told them that at that point. It was so amazing. But again, this kind of goes to don't create another system. Build on someone else's system. Our entire workflow is built on Trello because it is collaborative. And it gets everything out of my head, out of the lead's head, out of the account manager's head, out of the creative's head everybody it has to be on Trello and we always say here you cannot over communicate on Trello you can use a free version and of course we have an enterprise version because we provide it for free to our clients but it is about collaboration and I truly believe collaboration is the new competition and I'm completely sold on digital transformation so any kind of product that can help you get anything done digitally, whether it's signing a document with DocuSign, things that you know about already, but a lot of people know about them, but they don't put them in place. And I guess one other one I would say, well, besides HubSpot, obviously, you know, I believe firmly, firmly in marketing automation and, and making f- workflows that make sense for, uh, for people to have a really wonderful personalized journey. But the other one I think people overlook often, especially in startup mode, we use LastPass. And that is where we safely and securely keep people's passwords. We are entrusted with so much data with our clients. And if it's not private and locked down and we can't prove that it is, I don't think anybody should be doing business with us. And so you think about all the sensitive information we have. I mean, we're controlling so many people's social media channels. You know, we have a lot of power. And I think thinking very early about the systems you're creating and whether they're scalable and whether they're secure, that's what I would be looking at in terms of evaluating any system. Got it. That's great. Thank you. All right. So here's my last quick question. 
If you could wave a magic wand, what one thing that drives you crazy do you wish someone would find a solution for that would help your productivity and sanity? Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I mean, wave a magic wand. So this is what I really wish. I truly believe that one of the things that entrepreneurs and anybody in startup mode fails to do is they fail to reuse content effectively. And so they are constantly just under the gun, do this, do this, write this, do you know, and they really could reuse content better. So I think of it like a Thanksgiving turkey. You know, it's a big meal. You make this amazing, you know, um, turkey. You've spent hours. I mean, every you know, you get up at 4 a.m. and you get it done, right? And it's all this stuff, all this love goes into it. And then you serve it for one meal. Well, any good American knows <laughs> that yeah. the next day, <laughs> you know what's coming, right? It's mm-hmm. turkey sandwiches, it's turkey soup, it's turkey a la king, it's turkey casserole, right? All this stuff. And so I know that we've created systems in order to reuse that content and and get it, you know, divide it up in bite size. Because if it was worth making a whole turkey out of it, it's worth making three weeks of meals out of it, right? And so that big piece of content should last you all year if you break it up in small little pieces. So my way of the magic wand would be, I would love to be able to put a piece into a software and have it kick out a hundred different pulled quotes with an image or, you know, this was a great piece, like all of these small little pieces so that I don't have to do all that manually, which is what our team does. (laughs) Got it. So if a anybody slice wants and to build it, exactly. A, slice, a turkey slice and dicer. And someone make that for me as seen on TV. Uh, uh, all right. Well, thank you, Priscilla. It's been great having you on Startup Hacks today. Your insights were really awesome. Thank you so much. Now, if listeners would like to reach you, where can they contact you? Well, we have so many free resources at Little Bird Marketing. We just have a resource tab. You can download all kinds of things, persona development, et cetera, et cetera. I'm always available personally on LinkedIn. Um, But yeah, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to get me, but I would certainly answer any other questions. And Fernanda, thank you so much for having me on. I I really believe in what you're doing and I believe in this podcast and and I'm just glad to try and give it back a little bit, um, you know, on this journey. Well, thank you. It's so awesome to have you. Uh, Before we sign off, why don't you give everyone your URL? Yes, it's littlebirdmarketing.com. That's easy, easy to remember. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much. We will see you next week for another episode of Startup Hacks. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining Startup Hack. Tune in next week for more interviews. We have another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that can save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by Women Entrepreneurs Global, the first startup studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit womenentrepreneurs.global. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina. See you next week.